After nearly 20 years in prison on a murder conviction, Jesse Damon has been released, a home detention monitor strapped to his ankle. Determined to make it, and mindful of his parole restrictions, he struggles with life outside prison, but he seems to be making it, until Mitch, forklift driver on his shift, is found murdered in the warehouse. If Jesse isn't going down for this, he will have to be the one to figure out who killed Mitch and why. Read the Jesse Damon series from K.M. Rockwood. Start with Steeled for Murder and read through Jesse's latest, Abduction and Lies. Welcome to Mysteries to Die For. I am T.G. Wolf, and I'm here with Jack, my piano player and producer. This is a podcast where we combine storytelling with original music to put you at the heart of a mystery. Some episodes are original stories, and others will be classics that help shape the mystery genre we know today. All are structured to challenge you to beat the detective to the solution. These are arrangements, which means instead of word-for-word readings, you get a performance that's meant to be heard. Jack and I perform these live, front to back, no breaks, no fakes, no retakes, unless, as you all know, the dogs start barking. Support our show by subscribing, telling a mystery lover about us, and giving us a five-star review. And mystery readers, check out our print and e-books. Pre-order is now available for this season's companion ebook and trade paperback at all online retailers. Order before the end of the season for 20% off the regular price. This is season five, Move It or Lose It. This season contains original stories paying homage to the vehicles that propel mysteries forward. A train was a setting for Agatha Christie's famed Murder on the Orient Express. A riverboat then took center stage on Death on the Nile. Cars have been prominently featured in American crime stories with the glory of the getaway vehicle. Then there are the heists, from carriages to trains to armored trucks. For episode five, one of the shorter dedicated buses is the featured vehicle. This is The Bus Stops Here, by K.M. Rockwood. Where is Mia? Conchi knocked at the door of Mia's apartment to pick her up for breakfast, as she did almost every day. No answer. Strange. Mia was usually up and ready to go to the dining room when Conchi arrived. Green Hill Manor, a retirement community where they lived, had a motion-activated system that detected motion in the bathroom between 6 a.m. and 11 a.m. If nothing was detected, security would be dispatched to check on the resident. But that window wouldn't close for another two and a half hours. Conchi knocked again, louder. Perhaps Mia had water running. Most of the residents were hard of hearing. No, still no answer. Lately, Mia seemed to be declining cognitively, not unusual for people in their 80s, and she was a diabetic who wasn't as careful as her condition warranted. Could she be in the throes of a diabetic coma? Kanchi tried the door. It was unlocked. Mia always said she was much more likely to lock herself out of the apartment, necessitating an embarrassing call to security to let her back in, than to have anyone break in and steal, what, the old TV? Her wind-up alarm clock? The $4.62 in bingo money she kept in a jar? Easing the door open, Conchi stepped inside. Mia, are you all right? Mia's calico cat, Princess, poked her head out from under the couch and meowed, then withdrew. Princess was a timid creature. Conchi sneezed, her allergies. She quickly glanced around the room, The corner kitchenette was dark, but she could tell Mia was not in there. Bowls of dry cat food and water sat on a mat in front of the coat closet. The closet was tiny, so no way Mia could be in there. The bedroom was dark, the door half closed and the window blinds shut. The bed was more or less made, with the duvet pulled up and the pillows plumped. Mia's minimal stab at making her bed always waited until after breakfast. Mia was not in the bathroom. 
sorry, Mia was not in the bedroom. The bathroom door hung wide. The sliding doors to the shower were open. Mia was not in the bathroom. Kanchi opened the door to the small patio, but again, no Mia. Where could she be? Troubled, Kanchi went on to breakfast alone. Sonia Reynolds, the social worker, would be in her office by the time Kanchi finished breakfast. She would go and ask about Mia. Well, confidentiality regulations wouldn't permit the social worker to give her real information on Mia's whereabouts. She might assure Kanchi that all was well and she shouldn't worry. That would mean that Sonia knew where Mia was. Perhaps her nephew, Gerard, her only relative, had taken her for an appointment. Mia had said he'd agreed, somewhat reluctantly, to assist handling her affairs, possibly in hopes of inheriting whatever Mia had to leave when she passed on. Or had Mia met with an accident or sudden illness, Sonia would say she was being well cared for. Around lunchtime, a list of new residents, transfers, and temporary hospital stays would be posted on the bulletin board outside the dining room. They were given the option to have that information posted. Kanchi knew Mia had consented. When I came out, Kanchi would check that. The dining room smelled of bacon and hot coffee. Besides the usual eggs and oatmeal, Belgian waffles with blueberries and whipped cream were on the breakfast menu. Maybe tomorrow, Kanchi would seriously start watching her weight and get the oatmeal. Those waffles weren't served every day. It would be a shame to miss them. Diabetic or not, Mia would have agreed with her. After hurrying through breakfast, Kanchi stopped by Sonia's office. When she asked about Mia, Sonia had put on her calm and rational social worker face instead of her everything is under control one. I am sure Mia's fine. Perhaps she forgot to mention she was going somewhere early. Possible, but Kanchi worried. Sonia gave her dismissive, I'm really very busy smile, but her tongue flicked nervously over her crimson lips. She seemed to be a bit concerned herself. Sometimes a resident failed to sign out. Was it possible that, between her diabetes and her increasing cognitive confusion, that Mia had wandered away, perhaps hours ago? Per fire regulations, the front door was never locked from the inside, and the front desk was manned for limited hours. Most mornings after breakfast, Kanchi and Mia went to the lounge to join a game of Texas Hold'em for pennies, but she was too worried to concentrate on cards. She was anxious to get back to see if Mia had somehow turned up. Rachel, a housekeeper, was locking Mia's door. I was looking for Mia. Kanchi had to strain her neck to see the tall woman's face. Have you seen her? No, Rachel frowned. She should be at breakfast. Not this morning, Kanchi said. Odd, Rachel replaced a spray bottle and damp cloth on her housekeeping cart. Today's not our cleaning day, is it? Kanchi moved so Rachel could heft the weighty vacuum cleaner onto the cart. No, Mia spilled something and I got a note to clean it up. Rachel flexed her broad shoulders. What'd she spill, Kanchi asked. Barbecue sauce. Very thick and sticky. Rachel grabbed the handle of the cart. I stopped to see if Mia was ready to go to breakfast, Kanchi said. I didn't see a spill. In the kitchenette, down one of the cabinets and onto the floor, Rachel moved along the hallway. Barbecue sauce? No reason why Mia shouldn't have barbecue sauce. Given her allergies, Kanchi had only taken a quick look around the apartment. The kitchen light had been out. She could have missed the spill. But that left the question, where was Mia? There's no way in hell that's barbecue sauce. The incident on the bus. The door was now locked, but Kanchi and Mia kept keys to one another's apartments. Mia worried obsessively about Princess's long-term care. She knew that, despite allergies, her friend would see that Princess was not abandoned. Mia had left Kanchi written care instructions and a contact at the Cat Crusade, an organization that cared for homeless cats should Princess need a permanent new home. Mia had made a substantial donation to the shelter to ensure that Princess would have a home for the rest of her life. 
Due to liability issues, staff members were explicitly forbidden to undertake care of residents' pets. Last night after dinner, Mia had planned to take the retirement home's bus to the Christmas concert in town. The bus wouldn't return till close to 11, which Kanchi found too late. She didn't go on the trip, but instead went directly back to her apartment, put on her pajamas, and settled down with a cup of brandy spiked tea and a new book. Where could Mia have gotten to? Kanchi's first step should be to see if Mia had actually gone on the trip, and if she returned. She headed to the lounge and surveyed the residents who were relaxing, many with a final cup of coffee. Some were working on a jigsaw puzzle, some were playing cards. A few ladies had gathered their chairs in a circle, knitting. The TV, its sound lowered, flickered away in the corner. Two people stared at it. Kanchi couldn't tell if they were actually watching it. Rory, one of the younger residents, usually drove the bus. He was nowhere to be seen. Vivian sat by herself, a cup of tea by her plump elbow and a book in her hands. Vivian always knew what was going on, and she went on all the trips. Kanchi slipped into the chair next to her. Did you go to the concert last evening, Vivian? Yes, Vivian smiled. Wonderful, I love Christmas music, especially live like that. And was Mia on the trip, Kanchi asked. Vivian rested her book on her lap. Yes, she was. Do you remember seeing her afterwards? Kanchi settled into the chair. Vivian liked to gossip and would probably have plenty of details, but she couldn't be hurried. Definitely, Vivian chuckled. Couldn't have missed that. Kanchi leaned forward. What happened? Vivian lowered her voice. You know Alvin, that new resident? Not well. Kanchi did know him by sight, but she hadn't really spoken to him. He's rather withdrawn, isn't he? And he can be a bit, well, I guess rude is the word for it. Vivian weak conspiratorially. More than just rude, downright nasty. Was he nasty to Mia yesterday, Kanchi asked? Yes, Vivian nodded vigorously. At the concert, Mia had an aisle seat. Either Alvin got the seat numbers mixed up or he just decided he wanted that one. Either way, he started yelling at her and she s and said she needed to move or he'd make sure she got what was coming to her. Well, Kanchi was horrified. Such behavior was unheard of among the well-mannered residents of Green Hill Manor. Weren't there any ushers around? Not just then, Vivian chuckled. Kanchi did not find it amusing. What did Mia do? Vivian sighed. She said it wasn't worth fussing over. It's a small thing, so she let Elvin have the aisle seat and took his. Kanchi knew Mia didn't like to create seams, but this seemed extreme. She didn't even try to get her own seat back? No, Vivian scowled. Later, after the concert, she said she was afraid if she caused a disturbance, they might never let us come back to future performances. They do give a, us a very reduced price, but she was going to report Elvin when we got back. Did she? Kanchi wondered. I don't think she had the chance. Vivian leaned back. She would have had to wait until Sonia came in this morning to report it, and I haven't seen Mia this morning. I haven't either, Kanchi said, and that's why I'm asking. It was a late night. Vivian closed her eyes. I almost didn't get up for breakfast myself. No, Mia's not in her room, Kanchi told her. Really? Vivian's eyebrows shot up. I wonder where she is. I'm wondering too. Any more problems with Elvin? Kanchi asked. Yep, Vivian smiled. When we got back on the bus, Elvin said again he was going to make sure she got hers. Mia told him she would report him for making threats. Maybe such not such a good thing to say to someone behaving irrationally, Kanchi thought. Then what happened, she asked. Elvin got on the bus right behind her. She went all the way to the back, probably to try to get away from him, but he followed her. Vivian lifted her hand and rubbed her face, and he shoved her. She fell against the window and tumbled into the seat. She'd been right about that being not a good idea. But Kanchi asked, did Mia hit her head or something? Maybe, Vivian patted her cheeks. I mean, when she sat up, she had her hand on her face. Was Mia hurt, Kanchi wondered? Did she pass out? No, Vivian shivered. No, Mia sat straight up and looked out the window. 
Elvin went a couple more seats forward and sat down. Kanchi tried to picture it. Which seat was she in? Vivian looked around. Simia landed against the back window and she fell onto the seat. Where was Rory when this all happened? Kanchi was indignant on behalf of her friend. Vivian tapped her fingers on her book. Well, he'd gone to find Florence. She'd gone to the ladies' room and it was crowded. Kanchi looked around, but she didn't see Rory. Elvin, however, was one of the people staring at the TV. She said, so Rory got back and Mia didn't say anything? No, Vivian sighed. She was in the back of the bus. I mean, what could Rory do? Call the police? Well, that would be one possibility. Maybe a good one, Kanchi thought. Rory was a retired long-haul trucker and had an active commercial driver's license. Most days had a scheduled trip, usually to the grocery store, the shopping mall, or the library. A few times a month, they had a special trip, like the one to the Christmas concert, and Rory drove to most of them. By now, he might be getting the bus ready for today's trip. Kanchi decided to go to the parking lot and talk to Rory. He might know about, not know about the incident with Elvin, but he'd remember Mia on the bus. Overnight, the temperatures had fallen into the teens. A weak winter sun shone. Dry snow from a recent storm whipped in a voracious wind. It was still well below freezing. Kanchi bundled up in her warm coat and donned her hat, scarf, and gloves. She took the elevator down to the ground floor and went out the back door to the parking lot. The diesel engine on the bus rumbled, filling the air with exhaust fumes. Rory stretched on his tiptoes to wipe a dusting of snow from the corner of the windshield. He wore a tan windbreaker, but no hat. His sparse gray hair fluttered in the breeze. Yes, Mia was on the trip, he smiled. She looked nice. She had a snowman pin on the collar of her red coat. And she definitely came back on the bus, Kanchi asked. I'm sure of it. She got, we, got bad at, we got back a bit after 11. Rory brushed a trace of snow from the windshield wiper. And she got off the bus with the others? Kanchi persisted. Yes, Rory said, moving to clean the other wiper. I dropped everyone off at the front door before I pulled around here and parked the bus. You actually saw her get off, Kanchi asked. Well, Rory frowned. I didn't pay much attention. I mean, ice was forming on the windshield and I was fooling around with the defrost controls. Did you check the bus before you locked it? Kanchi held her breath as she waited for his answer. Rory lowered the windshield wiper. It's a converted school bus. I mean, it doesn't lock, but I always check. Sometimes things get left behind, purses and canes and books. A few weeks ago, I, call, I found a funny-looking thing that Sonia called an insulin pump. I turn everything into the social worker's office. Anything last night? Kanchi asked, and Rory shook his head. No. Do you mind if I have a quick look around? Kanchi took a step toward the open door. Well, of course not. Rory flicked at the speck of snow. But what do you think you'll find? Probably nothing, she said, but I'd like to check. Kanchi climbed on the bus and went down the aisles looking on every seat. Something was on the very last seat. Something big. It looked like a winter coat. Red. When Kanchi tried to grab it, it was heavy and stiff. It was wrapped around something or somebody. Mia, frozen stiff. Inconsolable. Rory was inconsolable. After the police had finished interviewing him, he sat in the chair in the lounge, trembling, staring off into space, a stricken look on his face. People bustled about, police officers, medics in white coats, employees of the Green Hill Manor, including the executive director, Mr. Raslings. Many of the residents were in the lounge. Instead of the hum of activities that normally engaged them, most sat in stunned silence. The TV, tuned to a news broadcast, droned on. No mention of their tragedy, not yet. Death was no stranger to the residents of the retirement home, but to have someone frozen to death on the home's bus, when so many people could have gone to aid her if someone had only known she needed help. Kanchi, 
devastated at the loss of her friend, sat down next to Rory to comfort him. I checked the whole bus. His watery eyes focused on the red and gold pattern of the carpet. I know I did. I always do. Conchi patted his hand. Sometimes these things just happened. He didn't try to pull his hand away. No, they don't just happen. It's tragic, but you can't blame yourself, Conchi tried to assure him. He turned toward her, his eyes fierce. No? Then who should I blame? We're all getting older, Conchi said soothingly. We do forget things. That's what Detective Lister told me, Rory averted his eyes. But do you know what? Conchi shook her head. I distinctly remember walking all the way to the back. There was a funny smudge on the back window and I rubbed it off with my sleeve. He raised his hand and pulled at the end of his sleeve over to demonstrate. Conchi wondered if the smudge could have been from Mia falling against the glass when Elvin shoved her. If so, Rory must really have gone all the way to the back of the bus. Could he have missed someone on the last seat? Rory sat immobile again, his hand with the sleeve covering it still raised in the air. Conchi took it gently and pulled it down and said, Mia was slumped over. The backs of the seats are high. Maybe you couldn't see her. I checked every seat, Rory insisted. I would have seen her. Conchi didn't know what to say. He looked glum. They'll need to find another bus driver. They don't want you to drive the bus anymore, Conchi asked. They didn't say that, Rory closed his eyes, but I could never do it again. I don't care how short-staffed they are. Maybe, she said. Maybe Mia was dead before the bus got back here. A heart attack or her diabetes. She didn't take good care of herself. She might have died even if somebody called an ambulance right away. That's possible, Rory angrily swiped at his eyes, but that wouldn't explain why I didn't find her. Don't beat yourself up. It was a lame thing to say, but Conchi couldn't think of anything better. They're going to do an autopsy, he said. That'll tell us if she froze to death. I'll never forgive myself if she did. He lapsed then into a rigid silence. Vivian, carrying her book, sat down next to them. A commotion at the reception desk in the vestibule, visible from the lounge, caused all eyes to focus there. A tall man in an ill-fitting striped suit clomped in and stomped at the desk. His longish gray hair flopped over his face, which was contorted into an angry grimace. What the hell happened to my aunt? His voice boomed. I need to see that damn administrator. Nicole, the receptionist, reached towards her intercom console. Mr. Raslings? If that's his name, the man stomped his foot. Mr. Raslings is in a meeting, Nicole said. I'll let him know you're here. I don't care what kind of damn meeting he's in, the man shook his finger at her. If you don't get him out here to see me right away, I'll see you lose your job. Nicole raised her eyebrows. Really? Yes, you're obstructing, he had pounded his fist on the desk. I'll sue. You may go to jail. Vivian whispered, that's Gerard. Mia's nephew. Still staring at Gerard, Conchie leaned close to Vivian. Is he? He's probably upset at Mia's passing, but still, a grown man throwing a temper tantrum? The door to Mr. Rasling's office swung open. Detective Lister, who was leading the investigation, strode out and approached Gerard. He put his hand on Gerard's arm and said, You need to calm down. Gerard shook the hand off. Who the hell are you? Whipping out his wallet to show his badge, the detective said, You need to come with us, sir. I have a few questions. What questions? My aunt died. I have to settle up her affairs, contact her lawyer, arrange for the funeral. I have no time for this nonsense. Gerard's large, harsh voice reverberated in the lounge. Nonetheless, sir, I must insist. The detective stepped behind Gerard and steered him toward Sonia's office, which had been commandeered for interviews. Negligence, that's what this is. Left on a bus? I'll sue. Gerard permitted himself to be herded into the office. The door shut behind them. Mr. Rasling stood in the open door of his office, his face clouded. Everyone had heard what Gerard had said about suing. 
Mr. Razzling's constantly worried that they'd be sued for something. This, Conchi thought, had definite possibilities. Had Mr. Razzling's also heard the ridiculous threats to poor Nicole, who was just doing her job? Marching over to where Nicole sat at her desk, Mr. Razzling scowled. You should have put a stop to that. Normally, Mr. Razzling's exhibited professional self-control, much like the social workers, but now his ordinarily neat-combed red hair stood on end. His tie was askew. Nicole looked up in surprise. Put a stop to what? That man, he said. You should have told me he was here before he got the chance to talk to the police detective. Who knows what he's going to say? Mr. Razzlings pulled a handkerchief from his pocket and wiped the back of his neck. I had no control over that, Nicole pointed out reasonably. I buzzed you as soon as he got here. Besides, I think the police are pretty much in charge of who talks to who right now. Such insubordination, Mr. Razzling snarled. Why, I ought to fire you. Mia's Millions, maybe. Nicole's eyes narrowed. Fire me? Never mind. Mr. Razzlings clenched his jaw and threw back his shoulders. He turned and clomped back to his office. From where they'd observed the interaction, Vivian whispered to Conchi, Poor thing! That's two people talking about her getting fired, making no sense whatsoever, and one of them's her boss. Nicole's not going to take that lying down. What could she do? Conchi asked. Quit, I guess, Vivian shrugged. She likes working here, but she doesn't need the money. Have you met that Jared before? Conchi gestured toward the door that had closed firmly behind Detective Lister and Gerard. Once, Vivian said, I didn't care for him. Conchi nodded. Not exactly Mr. Congeniality, is he? Not at all. Vivian leaned back in her chair. You should hear the way he talks to Mia. A few days ago, she brought him here to dinner and tried to get him to sit with some of her friends, but he refused. I don't remember seeing him. I usually have dinner with Mia. Or had dinner with Mia, Conchi reminded herself grimly. Past tense. It was that day that you had the late dentist appointment, Vivian said. Anyhow, they sat at a table by themselves, right behind me. Did you hear what he had to say? Conchi asked. Vivian didn't answer the question. You know how Mia gets. Her mind drifts sometimes. I think she was having problems with her diabetes. Really? Conchi knew how cavalier Mia could be about her diet and her meds, and there were the possible cognitive issues. She was unsteady, Vivian continued. Gerard held her by the arm, tight, and she was sweating. That doesn't sound like it could be a diabetic reaction, Conchi noted. For sure, Vivian gave a knowing smile. He got her from the lounge before we had our afternoon snack, lemonade and graham crackers. Well, missing her afternoon snack couldn't have done her any good, Conchi said. True, Vivian agreed. When they sat down at dinner, she wasn't making a lot of sense. Not that his side of the conversation made much sense either. You could hear what they said, Conchi asked again. Oh, yes, my hearing's pretty good. Mia was mumbling, but I understood everything. Vivian shook her head. And Gerard is loud. Conchi leaned forward. What were they saying? Mia seemed confused. I mean, she was talking about planning a wedding, small ceremony in a chapel with cake and punch afterwards. A wedding? Conchi was mystified. Yes, she wanted to marry a fellow named Jehoshaphat. Vivian sighed. Wasn't that the name of her fiancé years ago? Yes, Conchi recalled. Jehoshaphat didn't come back from the war. Mia never wanted anyone else. She was talking about marrying him. As if he were alive? Yes, Vivian said, at first. Then she drank some apple juice. After that, she stopped talking about the wedding. How did Gerard react, Conchi asked. Well, he was upset. He kept asking her about this Jehoshaphat and the wedding, even after she said she didn't want to talk about it. Vivian smiled. She was sharp with him, too. Then they just stopped talking altogether. I wonder... Conchi's voice trailed off. What? Vivian asked. 
Conchi put her thought into words. Did Gerard think if Mia got married that she'd leave the money to her husband instead of him? Well, the man did die a long time ago, Vivian pointed out. But did Gerard know that? Mia complained that he was never interested, never listened to her, only cared about what he might inherited. She may not have told him. Conchi grinned at that idea. I think she was embarrassed, Vivian said, and annoyed when Gerard wouldn't let the subject drop. Did Mia have much to leave? She never seemed broke, Conchi said. I know she gave a big donation to the Cat Crusade so they, wouldn't, so they would take care of Princess if she needed a home, which the poor cat might, as Conchi couldn't take her. She hoped Gerard wasn't planning to. She never spent a lot of time otherwise, or she never spent a lot of money otherwise, though. It's hard to spend a lot when you're dependent upon the manor's bus to get to a store, Vivian pointed out. You need to be able to carry whatever you bought. Yes, Conchi agreed, and she, didn't, she did have a computer, and sometimes she ordered things online, especially from Chewy for Princess, but not much else. Maybe, Vivian raised her eyebrows, but she did have plenty of money. Really? Conchi was surprised. Living in Greenhill Manor was a great equalizer. Nobody seemed rich. Nobody seemed poor. Yes, Vivian said, nodding knowingly. She inherited it from her father. Didn't you ever notice Mr. Razzling's acting all smarmy around her? I mean, I guess. Conchi closed her eyes and conjured up the image of Mr. Razzling stopping Mia to take her hand. Right. He hoped she would leave most of her money to Greenhill Manor. Vivian pursed her lips, or even to him, personally. Conchi was shocked. Wouldn't that be terribly unethical, leaving it to him personally? Oh, yes, Vivian agreed. But if it were enough, he could resign and leave with the money. He'd probably get away with it. Conchi mused. So Gerard and Mr. Re Mr. Razzlings might be at odds over her money? Maybe not anymore, Vivian gave a knowing grin. Mia's lawyer was here the other day. They met in Sonia's office. Kicked Sonia right out. That office is plenty soundproof. Mia said she wanted to make changes to her will before her cognitive state could be questioned. Afterward, she was quite pleased. Was Gerard her heir or her executor, Conchi wondered? He thought he was both, Vivian said, but before they went to dinner, he stopped by to see Mr. Razzlings. That office isn't so soundproof, and Gerard was shouting. And you listened, Conchi said. Well, of course. Anybody who's that loud has to expect to be overheard, Vivian said, grinning. Conchi had to grin back. What did he say? Well, he threatened Mr. Razzlings, said that if Mia got married without him knowing, there'd be hell to pay. If she left her money to Greenhill Manor, he'd sue. If anyone employed by Greenhill Manor benefited personally, well, they'd go to jail. Vivian chuckled. He does like to make those threats. He might have a point. Conchi had no idea her friend had been wealthy. If she really had so much money. She did, Vivian said, nodding. Mia didn't flaunt her wealth, but she had it. Rory had been sitting beside them, staring off into space. He looked up, his eyes opening wide. The sign-in sheet, he said. People signed back in. If Mia signed in, then she couldn't have been left on the bus. Gap in the Records Conchi accompanied Rory to the desk where Nicole sat with rigid shoulders. Vivian tagged along. When they got there, Rory, still trembling, was apparently tongue-tied. So Conchi spoke for him. Who was working here last night? I was until six. Nicole's voice was thick and her eyes were red. Anybody could have seen she's upset, Conchi thought. After that, she asked, well, nobody, Nicole said. I switched the phones to automatic answering before I left. She gestured toward the council in front of her. Conchi looked at the scattering of papers on the desk. Who would have been signing people in when they got back from the Christmas concert? Well, I suppose they'd sign themselves in, she said. I left the list right here. Nicole lifted a clipboard with a pen attached to it by a string. Conchi hoped they had. Is the list from last night still there? 
Should be. Nicole opened a side drawer on the desk and flipped through the folders. She pulled out a wrinkle sheet. Here you go. The sheet had three columns with headings. The first column said name. It listed about 20 names. The next said out with the little boxes below it. All the boxes were checked. The last one said in and most of the boxes were blank. The one next to Mia's name was not checked. So many blank boxes. Kanchi wasn't surprised, but she was disappointed. A lot of people just forget. Nicole cleared her throat. <clears throat> or, I mean, they didn't bother. It was late when they got back, and people were tired. Vivian peered at the list. Look, I didn't check myself in either. I went straight to my apartment. Kanchi frowned. Why have a list if people aren't going to use it? Suppose somebody's been left behind. Oh, the bus driver, Vivian gestured toward Rory, who still stood mute, has a list to make sure everyone's on the bus. That's the important list. He'd know if anyone was missing. Nicole agreed. This is more of a I'm off the premises list for when they need to find a resident. They can quickly tell if someone's gone out. But how does that work if people don't always sign back in, Kanchi asked. Well, usually people get back while I'm still working. Nicole smoothed the paper. If somebody's still out, I leave a note. Rory did check everyone off of his list, Vivian said. At the sound of his name, Rory blinked and emerged from his slightly dazed state. Did you see if Mia got off the bus, he asked Vivian. I was so tired, Vivian frowned. I'm afraid I wasn't paying attention. I mean, lots of people were on that trip. His voice was strained. Somebody must have seen her get off. We can ask around. Kanchi put her hand on Rory's arm soothingly. You can't be expected to remember everything. He turned fierce eyes on her. I'd remember if she were still on the bus, and I'd have gotten help. The door to Sonia's office burst open. Gerard strode out. He looked more disgruntled than he had when he entered the office. Detective Leister traveled behind him. We'll be in touch when we have more information. Probably preliminary autopsy results by late afternoon. Gerard stopped short. Autopsy? Why would you need an autopsy? The detective leaned in close and said something, but they couldn't hear what it was. This is an outrage! Gerard's voice rose several decibels. Mr. Raslings hurried from his office and put his hand on Gerard's elbow. Please, lower your voice. But Gerard pulled away. Why an autopsy? He didn't lower his voice at all. The detective murmured something. Gerard was having none of it. She was under a doctor's care. She was 80-some years old, and she had a heart condition. She was diabetic. She had a do not resuscitate order. And you're going to do an autopsy? Once again, the detective's reply was too faint for them to hear. I don't believe this, Gerard said. Can't you show some respect? She said she wanted to be cremated. Maybe a celebration of life here for her friends with a nice luncheon. Mr. Rasling took Jared by the elbow again, more firmly this time. Gerard tried to shake his hand off. Come, come, Mr. Rasling said. This is not the place to have this discussion. The residents are upset enough. Gerard glanced at all the people around, staring at him, but he didn't move. Come into my office. We need privacy, Mr. Rasling said. This is no one else's business. At that, Gerard let him be led away. Detective Leister followed. Vivian gave a sly smirk and said to Nicole, I bet Gerard's trying to get to Mr. Raslings in trouble, and Mr. Raslings will be trying to foist it off on somebody else. I don't see how they can blame any of this on you, though. Nicole took a tissue and she wiped her eyes. She held a finger to her lips and flipped the office intercom on the council. Eavesdropping. Gerard had toned his volume down a bit, but they could still hear every word through the intercom. Mr. Raslings had reverted to his customary soothing tone. Most of what he said was audible. Detective Leister said nothing at all. Totally irresponsible, Gerard was saying. I will be contacting my attorney. Now, now, <clears throat> Mr. Raslings cleared his throat. We need to hear what the investigation reports. All staff at Greenhill Manor will cooperate fully. Staff at Greenhill Manor? That's a joke. Gerard made an odd snorting sound. How many have been taking bribes? Bribes? 
Mr. Rasling sounded indignant. What kind of bribes would anyone here take? I have reason to believe someone was using undue influence. Jared's voice was low and menacing, trying to get my aunt to change her will. That's absurd, but Mr. Rasling didn't sound fully confident. You've been trying to get her to change her will, haven't you? Gerard demanded. Of, of course, we give everyone the information they need should they decide to remember Greenhair Manor in their will. Mr. Rasling segued into fundraising speech. Our residents have lived long and happy retirements here, and many wish to both enhance the living experience for those who follow and be remembered with the plaque honoring them. Gerard cut him off. You need money, don't you? Just to stay open. Were you hoping to convince Aunt Mia to rewrite her will? Sir! We issue financial statements. Mr. Rasling sounded like he was back on secure footing. You may have a copy of the latest one if you wish. It may, however, take a trained accountant to understand the statement. I know Aunt Mia changed her will just a few days ago, Gerard said. Detective Leister spoke for the first time. You know that for a fact? Well, I know she saw an attorney. Gerard's voice rose. They met in that social worker's office for a good two hours. Undue influence. She was rewriting her will. Out at the front desk, Nicole flipped the switch off for a few seconds. Her lawyer did come. They were in Sonia's office for a while, but Sonia wasn't there. She flipped the switch back. That social worker, Gerard continued. She was afraid of that social worker. Afraid, Mr. Rasslings asked. Why would anyone be afraid of Sonia Reynolds? Because, Gerard took a deep breath. The social worker is the one who decides when you have to move to a nursing home. Aunt Mia knew that. She wanted to stay here. Is that what you meant by undue influence? Mr. Raslings gave a mirthless chuckle. I assure you, all of our staff. I know. Gerard made that snorting sound again. Aunt Mia's diabetes was not well controlled. She may have been developing dementia. She may have been better off in a nursing home. At least she wouldn't have been abandoned on a bus to freeze to death. I have no report of your aunt's diabetes being inadequately treated or signs of dementia. Any such report would have crossed my desk. All staff members, from kitchen help to our visiting doctor, are required to report such concerns. Mr. Rasslings paused. In writing. Yeah, Gerard said, and I suppose none of them would have taken a payment to overlook an incident? Nicole flipped the switch off. I don't think anyone took a payment, she whispered, but I know a few times when Mia begs someone not to report something. She turned the intercom back on. Mr. Rasslings was talking. Very little money readily available, and we encourage our residents to keep things of great value, like jewelry, in the safe here in the office. All the more reason she might change her will. Gerard stuck stubbornly to his point. She told me she wanted her will to reflect some specific bequests. Perhaps she left some money to you, Mr. Raslings. Most unethical, Mr. Raslings sounded indignant again. I would lose my job, not to mention my professional certification as a retirement living administrator. Even if there were no criminal prosecutions, which would be quite likely, I would be totally unemployable. But if it were enough, and unless I'm slowly mistaken, Aunt Mia was worth well over a million dollars, you might never have to work again. Gerard was very sure of himself. And while you might be professionally disgraced, you'd probably get away with it and retire yourself. Detective Leister spoke up. I need to speak with the coroner's office, but I'll be back later today to thoroughly investigate this, sir. I will interview both employees and residents. Mr. Raslings ignored that and addressed Gerard. So which is it? A bequest to Greenhill Manor, to me personally, or Sonia Reynolds, a social worker, perhaps someone else, that fellow who comes in to clean the furnace? Any of those are possible. <coughs> Gerard coughed. <coughs> I'd like to see those statements. Nicole's finger rested on the council switch, holding it open. It clicked loudly, and she jerked her hand back. Nicole! Mr. Rasling's voice boomed out of the speaker. This doesn't seem to be turning on properly. Is this working? Can you hear me? Her eyes wide and holding her hand to her chest, Nicole flipped the switch back, and she managed to say, Um, yes, sir, I, I believe it's working. 
Good, he said. I need you to make a copy of the latest financial statement and have it available in a few minutes. Can you do that immediately? Yes, sir, Nicole answered. Good. That's all for now. Mr. Rasling apparently clicked off the intercom. Oh, my. Nicole patted her blouse over her chest. Be still my pounding heart. I better get those copies made. Well, Vivian said, at least it doesn't sound like he's going to fire you. True, Nicole stood up, but now I'd like to quit. If he fired me, I'd get unemployment compensation. I'd find another job, and nobody would blame me for things that weren't my fault. We have reached the moment of deliberation. Man, it's like there's only two people. Oh, I guess there's three people. Okay, it so be. it's a gruesome little plot that KM has given us, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Um, okay, so here's the list of suspects in the order they appear. Mm-hmm. Um, Kanchi is considered a detective here, so she's not a suspect. So don't even game it. It wasn't Kanchi. I wasn't going to say it was Kanchi. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I haven't been able to keep track of who some of the characters are. Okay. So I know Kanchi's a character, but I assume Kanchi's the main character yeah she's the um amateur detective she's the best friend so we have sonia reynolds the social worker who can't be bothered to worry about mia Mm -hmm. we have the not so great nephew gerard you know the yeller Mm -hmm. we have rachel the housekeeper who is cleaning up barbecue sauce on a non-cleaning day that's not a we have elvin the jerk who threatened mia for an aisle seat He's just delirious. <laughs> we have Mr. Raslings, the facility manager, who's looking for a nice donation. Okay, he I can see. We have Rory, the bus driver, who's really broken up yeah, about it, this. Yeah, it's, it's not him. And then we have Vivian, the gossip, but she's really not a suspect. She's a witness. Exactly. Not a, not a, not a, not a, not okay, a so you got that? Got Social it. worker, nephew, housekeeper, jerk on the bus, wrestling, and bus driver well i really only think it's like the superintendent guy or alvin i think who was the other guy i said it could be i don't remember um you want the clues yes okay so mia's apartment door was open when Kanchi went in and nothing was out of order okay um rory or i'm sorry vivian and rory both confirmed that mia went to the christmas concert and she was on the returning bus Neither could confirm that Mia left the bus. All right. But Rory was certain that he walked the bus and that Mia was not on it when he left. So somebody brought the body back. Conchi found Rachel in Mia's apartment later, reportedly cleaning up a barbecue stain in the kitchen. Weird. Weird. Vivian, Rachel, and others reported that Mia was having bouts of memory issues, and this included talking about wedding planning for a fiancé that she had in her youth. What barbecue sauce? What? Oh, my God. No, sorry. I just don't believe that blood would look like barbecue sauce. It's clearly blood. All right? I know okay. how it happened. Sorry. Continue with the clues. Um, Vivian witnessed Elvin threaten Mia over her aisle seat, and then on the bus, he shoved her, causing her to fall against the window. Asshole. Um, Nicole confirmed that Mia met with her attorney in Sonia's office, and everyone heard Gerard threatening to sue everyone about anything, and he strenuously objected to an autopsy. Okay, I don't think it's Gerard. I think he's a dick who's just in it for the money, but he didn't kill for it. Just because he's a dick doesn't mean he's a killer. Exactly. I think it could be Sonia. Okay. I don't I don't think it is because she's just not a big enough person for me well, to think. Well, which clue or which, which aspect seems out of place to you? Which seems... I think it could be her because the attorney stuff happened in her office they do keep taking her office don't they they do which is weird because like mm-hmm. you couldn't have just taken a conference room or written in a conference room i, I don't know. know i think it, it could be her um i the when the uh i forget the name of the, the guy who runs the whole thing Oh, Rieslings, Raslings? Yeah, I, can't, I can never remember how to pronounce his name. Raslings. I think I've pronounced it two or three different ways. I think Raslings. he definitely went out of his way to try and get her to leave money to him, but I don't think she would. he would kill for it. 
unless the whole place was about to fold. And I don't think the whole place is about to fold, you know? No, I mean, based on the fact that he said, take a look at the financial reports. Yeah. Like, we're, we're doing okay. And I don't think he needs it. They said he could be taking it just for himself. I don't believe that. I no. don't think he would do that. Um, yeah, I don't really think it would be anyone else, you know? Huh? I think Sonia's the only one with the ability to... I mean, part of it's like, okay, who could know? Well, everyone could know. If every single character knows right now, yeah. anyone could have known before. But I think Sonia, because she has the only office that you can't hear through, was another thing. She had access to all that information. I don't know how. I do wonder what's in the will. I do wonder. Also, one thing I noticed, which there's always security cameras at these places. <laughs> everywhere now i get you can't have it in the store or else it's not a story and you instantly know how oh, so happened, the camera would have picked camera would have seen everything you need cameras everywhere mm. you have people who are mentally not there you need to be able to track them if something happens hmm. you'd always have cameras i in hadn't thought facilities. about that you wouldn't have them in rooms like so for the sake of the story for the no sake cameras. of the story you can't have that yeah. but i just thought about it because i remember when we went to see grandma in that uh hospice center there were mm -hmm. cameras everywhere i didn't notice that I did because I, I, I wondered about it. I was like, why would you? Oh, obviously. So you can keep track of people if something hmm. were to happen. You miss a guy. You can track him into the supply closet where he's yeah. hiding. Yeah. But no, you can't have that in the story for it to work. No. But I think I think it's Sonia. I don't think it's Sonia, but I think it's Sonia. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't think it'd be her, but she's the only option I can see working. Okay. So let's see. All right. All right, listeners, time for you to lock in your guesses. And then we will get started with The Killer Speaks. After dinner, most of the residents moved with their coffee to the lounge. Elvin sat in a corner by himself. Rory was nowhere to be seen. Everyone was subdued. Even the avid jigsaw puzzler contingent seemed unfocused. Several people stared at the TV, which was tuned to the evening news. A talking head appeared on the screen, holding a microphone in front of her with a toothy grin. Live on location, following this message. Vivian leaned forward. In the background, isn't that our building? Kanchi peered at the screen. Why, yes it is. After a brief commercial touting the best place to buy top-quality, low-mileage used cars, the reporter reappeared. In local news, a woman found unresponsive on a bus in the parking lot of Green Hill Manor Retirement Home early this morning is reported to have died of blunt force trauma to the torso. The body had apparently been moved. Identification has not yet been released. Toxicology results are pending. Vivian gasped. <gasps> Poor Rory, he was right. No wonder the police are swarming all over. Vivian leaned back in her chair. Mia was murdered. Who could have killed her, Conchie asked, and where? Vivian shivered. Wouldn't blunt force trauma to the torso leave blood all over? I need to talk to Rachel, Conchie said. First thing in the morning, find out how she got a note to clean Mia's kitchen. You could ask her right now, Vivian replied. She's cleaning up the dining room. She's still here? Kanchi thought back to earlier. But I saw her this morning. Overtime, Vivian shrugged. They're short-staffed. Kanchi stood up. I'll just ask her now. Good idea, Vivian stood up too. I'm going back to my apartment. Too much excitement. I hope I'll be able to sleep. The lounge was emptying out. Only the stalwart jigsaw puzzler contingent seemed to be re reviving their evening activity. When Kanchi pushed open the door to the dining room, she was met with the pine-scented fumes of floor cleaner. Sure enough, Rachel was still there. She stood at the far end, rinking out a mop in a wheel bucket. May I ask you something? Kanchi asked. I suppose, Rachel turned away. Kanchi unsuccessfully tried to catch her eye. I wondered how you got the note to clean up Mia's kitchen this morning. Rachel ringed the mop in the ringer. It was left at the front desk. 
But you were right here after breakfast, and you're still working. That's a long day. Kanchi glanced at her watch. There's work to be done. Rachel grabbed the mop handle and guided the bucket toward the utility room. And it's overtime. Did somebody not come in? Kanchi asked. They don't tell me. Rachel looked back over her shoulder. The tablecloths are in the dryer. If I don't get them folded, they'll get wrinkled. Kanchi followed along, and she'd never seen the utility room. It smelled of bleach. A huge front-loading washing machine squatted, its door hanging open. An equally huge dryer stood next to it, drum rotating. Several sinks lined the wall. The door swung shut behind them. Rachel opened the dryer. The drum made a few half-hearted rotations and stopped. She pulled out a mound of white tablecloths and dumped them on the table. What do you want, she demanded. Are you sure that was barbecue sauce you cleaned up in Mia's kitchen? Kanchi asked. Rachel shrugged. That's what the note said. That's what it looked like. Could just anybody leave a note like that? Kanchi wondered. I mean, I suppose. Rachel took a white square from the pile and shook it out. Kanchi moved out of the way. Didn't that seem strange to you? Maybe, Rachel began to fold the tablecloth, but Mia did strange things. What do you mean? Kanchi was surprised. Rachel swung around, a scowl on her face. Mia should have been moved. She was losing it. She fell. She couldn't remember things. She dropped her clothes on the floor and couldn't pick them up. She couldn't clean out the cat pan. I'm not supposed to do that. The intensity in her eyes alarmed Kanchi. You did that for her? Yeah. I'm supposed to report problems. If I'd done that, they wouldn't have let her stay here. Rachel stepped forward. But you didn't report her. Kanchi stepped back. Why not? She said she had lots of money. She was changing her will. If I just took care of things, she'd leave me money. A hundred thousand dollars. Rachel's eyes narrowed. Did she have that much? Although how much she knew, although she knew Mia probably did. Yes, Rachel said, taking another step forward. She showed me her bank statements. Greenhill Manor would never have allowed you to accept that money, Kanchi pointed out. With that much, I could quit, find another job, but I'd be rich. A smile played on Rachel's lips. Kanchi felt the wall behind her. Will you get it now? Rachel's smile disappeared. No. Disappointing, Kanchi eased toward the door. She said the lawyer wouldn't let her. Rachel moved toward the block. Rachel moved to Black Conchie's exit. I stayed here last night to tell her she better figure something out, or I'd tell the social worker about her problems, and they never let her stay. What did, what did Mia say? Conchie looked around desperately. There wasn't another way out of the utility room. She said she couldn't help that. She said maybe it was time for her to move on. She'd made arrangements for the cat. Rachel took a step closer. Conchie tried not to cower. What did you do? Rachel raised her strong hand, still holding the tablecloth. I gave her kind of a poke in the gut, and she crumbled right up. It might have broken some ribs, and she hit her head on the kitchen counter, blood all over. I didn't mean to kill her. Kanji tried to skirt around Rachel to the door, but Rachel was quicker and stronger. She wrapped the tablecloth around Kanji and pinned her arms to her side. Then she lifted her up and swung her toward the dryer. See how you like this, she sneered. It gets really hot and tumbles. You'll die. Kanchi tried to pull away. They'll figure it out. You won't get away with this. I can try. Rachel shoved Kanchi's head into the still hot interior of the jump dryer. Kanchi shouted, help, help. Rachel smirked. This room is soundproof. Wouldn't want the rich folks disturbed by the noise of the laundry, would we? She nudged the dryer door open a bit more and pushed Kanchi in farther. With her feet off the floor and her arms clasped to her side, Kanchi snagged the edge of the door with her foot and jerked it into Rachel, hard. The rim of the door smacked Rachel's head, her grip loosened. Kanchi started to tumble to the floor. The tablecloth loosened enough for her to grab the edge of the dryer opening. She managed to get her feet underneath her and backed away hastily. Rachel shook her head. She was stunned, but only for a minute. She straightened up and reached toward Kanchi with those big, strong hands. Desperate, Kanchi grabbed the mop by the handle and swung the mop. It landed in Rachel's face, the sloppy, wet mop head. 
Concha gave a final shove, then dashed toward the door. She pulled it open and ran through the dining room into the lounge. Thank goodness for the stalwart jigsaw puzzle contingent. They looked up in alarm. Detective Lister, who was sitting in their meds, leapt to his feet. After breakfast the next morning, Conchi sat in the lounge, her book in her lap, her hands still shaking. With Mia gone, she didn't really feel like joining the ruckus Texas Hold'em game, and she was too unsettled to read. Across the room, Rory sat by himself with a cup of coffee in his hand. He might never fully recover from people suspecting him of negligence. Conchi had to add herself to that list. Until they discovered that Mia's body had been moved, she too believed Rory might have missed her. Vivian, also carrying a book, came in and sat beside her. The TV droned on with the depressing news broadcast. Half-heartedly, they watched it. And now, the announcer said, in regional news, a local charity has been the recipient of a record bequest. The Cat Crusade, a nonprofit organization devoted to the care of cats in need, announced that the late Mia Rogers left close to $2 million to be used for the benefit of homeless cats. Vivian turned to Conchi. I imagine Princess will be well cared for. Conchi nodded. Indeed she will. Yes, the bequest made me tear up. <laughs> Go ahead, laugh Jeez, at Mom, me. Mom, I, I am. I am <laughs> laughing. Rachel did it. Rachel, that's your name? I thought the, it was Rory. Huh? I thought her name was Rory. No, Rory was the bus driver. Oh, Rachel you're right. Was I the, got, yeah. Rachel right. was Rachel. the maid. It was Rachel. You kept queuing in on the barbecue sauce, but then you kept tossing it away like, yeah, that's weird, but. Well, yeah, because I thought someone just left a note. I thought someone, because she said, yeah, someone just left a note and told me to come in here and clean this up. Yeah. I was like, that's okay, what who left the note? Not okay. <laughs> whatever. Whatever. Fine. You got me. I didn't get it. I would say KM did a really good job of giving us a lot of suspects. In the case of, like, Gerard was definitely money hungry. Mm-hmm. And didn't get anything, apparently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's sweet justice in that. And it's hard to, to peg Mr. Razzling. You know, was he trying to get money for himself? Was he trying to get a bequest for the home? Probably. Doesn't matter at this point. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't. But there probably was something to the accusation. Yeah, there was something there. Um, I will say that that the maid Rachel was definitely a sleeper. Oh yeah. The, I guess just, the that hmm? was one of the almost the entire story was there to throw you off, because all the research they did were into suspects that you know weren't it. You know all that you ended up knowing about the actual killer you learned right off the bat and in the deliberation. You know. So really, Rachel could have got away with it if she had just kept her temper around Conchi. Oh, my God. Right? Because nobody She's was looking so at her. She's so hot-headed. All she had to say was just keep going with her story because it was plenty believable. So if you remember back in uh, episode two in mine mm-hmm. where the killer got away with it. Yeah. Be- just because she kept her mouth shut. Yep. This is one of those times. <laughs> this was one of those times. And Rachel had just kept her temper, man. Although it was a really awesome ending that uh, KM wrote for us with her trying to put uh, Conchi in the industrial dryer. Yeah, I was just like, wow, this took a turn, man. This, this took a been, turn. This has been a, like a nice little cozy mystery. <laughs> and then, yeah, a woman got jabbed in the gut. Like, I don't understand. So, uh, M- Mar- Mia, that's her name? Yeah, Mia. Mia got jabbed in the gut, blood everywhere. Well, I think the way it was intended was the the woman, Rachel, who's a a big woman, Mm -hmm. like punched her, like got punched her. Mm -hmm. And it sounded like Mia, when she fell, she hit her head on the on the counter. And that's what caused the bleeding. Oh, okay. In a longer story, there'd probably be more detail about that. But that was the way I read it. Yeah, no, I guess. And then that punch caused about a head wound. Well, the punch must have caused like a broken rib or something that caused internal bleeding. Okay. Because it says she died from blunt force trauma to the torso. Yeah. So. Well, 
it was a good story. It was yeah. definitely threw me off. All right, everyone, leave your comments on whatever format you're listening. If you're listening online, then you can go to my website and leave a comment there. Let us know if you guessed that Rachel was deduced, not guessed, that Rachel was the killer. Let me tell you a little bit more about K.M. Rockwood. She draws on a varied background for stories, among them being that she worked as a laborer in a steel fabrication plant, uh, operating gas melters and glass, operating glass melters and related equipment in a fiberglass manufacturing facility and supervising an inmate work crew in a large medium security state prison. These jobs, as well as her work as a special education teacher in an alternative high school and a GED teacher in county detention facilities, provide most of the background for her stories and novels. So that wraps up this episode of Mysteries to Die For. Please do support our show by subscribing. Tell a mystery lover about us and give us a five-star review. Check out our website, tgwolf.com forward slash podcast for links to this season's authors and their stories. Mysteries to Die For is hosted by T.G. Wolf and Jack Wolf. The Bus Stops Here was written by K.M. Rockwood. Music and production are by Jack Wolf, and episode art is by T.G. Wolf. We will see you all in two weeks. Jack, give him something a little to remember us by. <laughs>